You're listening to the Dwell on These Things podcast, a regular dose of Christ-centered encouragement to put your mind in a better place. Listen in as Pastor John Stonge shares Bible studies, interviews, training, and some of his most recent sermons. We're glad to have you with us today. We're continuing our look this morning at the book of Proverbs, and today we're in chapter 26, so we're very quickly getting toward the end of the book. And today as we look at chapter 26, we're going to be looking at the first 12 verses, or most of the first 12 verses, and we're going to be talking about the fact that the folly you embrace can become the legacy you leave. And that gets illustrated for us in a variety of ways in this passage. So if you would take your Bibles and turn with me me to Proverbs chapter 26, and I'll pick up at verse 1 of the chapter, and this is what it says in the passage. Like snow in summer, or rain in harvest, so honor is not fitting for a fool. Like a sparrow in its flitting, like a swallow in its flying, a curse that is causeless does not alight. A whip for the horse, a bridle for the donkey, and a rod for the back of fools. Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. Whoever sends a message by the hand of a fool cuts off his own feet and drinks violence. Like a lame man's legs which hang useless is a proverb in the mouth of fools. Like one who binds the stone in the sling is one who gives honor to a fool. Like a thorn that goes up into the hand of a drunkard is a proverb in the mouth of fools. Like an archer who wounds everyone is one who hires a passing fool or drunkard. Like a dog that returns to his vomit is a fool who repeats his folly. Do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the opportunity to be able to look at your word together this morning. And we pray that as we look at this passage together today, that you'd help us in our walk with you. We pray that you'd give us your wisdom. We pray that you'd give us your insight. We pray that you'd help us to to understand the things that we're reading so that these become things that that don't just enter our our ears or enter our mind, but get lived out in our day-to-day lives. Because you've called us to exercise godly wisdom that you supply to us as we trust in you. And so we pray, Lord, that that would be a priority for us. We pray that that would be something that matters to us. And we pray that that would be at least one of the ways that we learn to apply this portion of Scripture to our day-to-day lives. And Lord, we pray that you'd help us to be mindful of the legacy that we're leaving. We pray that it would be a legacy of faith and not a legacy of folly. And we thank you, Lord, for the teaching of your word. We pray that you'd speak it to our minds and speak it to our hearts now. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So I I have mentioned this multiple times, um, so I know that you've you've already heard me say this, but I don't tend to watch uh, very much TV. In fact, there are some weeks that go by that I don't watch TV at all, but if I do watch something on TV, there are a few select categories that, that tend to be some of my favorites. And one of my favorites is when I have the chance to watch a good documentary that's like a historical biography. So again, I know you've heard me say that from time to time, but I I almost feel like, and I I notice this about myself, I notice that I could almost watch any biography about anyone and probably find it interesting. 
But if you ever notice that those biographies, they tend to follow a bit of a pattern. And one of the things that they tend to highlight, I've noticed, is uh, different people that have been world leaders. And there are plenty of those biographies that focus on U.S. presidents. And so several years ago, I was actually watching a series of them as they were working their way through each of the presidents in clusters. And they were talking about all sorts of things about their lives. And I tend to find, again, these biographical documentaries very interesting because I like to learn about the early influences that tend to show up in a person's life later on. And it gives you a little bit of insight into why they carry themselves the way they do as an adult. And one of the things that caught my attention when I was watching that series of documentaries were some things that were shared about President Ronald Reagan and about some of the things that he did or the way he carried himself during his time in office. And it's interesting, usually when I reference a president from the pulpit, I try to reference someone that was in office before any of us was alive, because referencing a president could actually be a controversial thing. And so I actually try and be um, a, a bit careful with that, because no president is universally loved during their term in office. However, some would argue, and they certainly argued this in that, in that particular documentary, that Reagan came close. Uh, he was pretty well loved during the course of his time in office. But when you look at some of his background, when you look at you know, his genial nature or his affable personality, he was a man who had experienced some very painful in- embarrassments during the course of his youth, particularly at the hands of his father. Reagan's father was a man who seemed to lack direction. And I don't know what kind of internal struggles he was dealing with, but he was dealing with plenty of things. And unfortunately, his, his approach, his way of trying to dampen his emotional pain was by getting drunk regularly. So Reagan's father would get drunk regularly. It was a big problem for their family. And his uncontrolled addiction cost their family in a variety of ways. They struggled financially because of it. They struggled relationally because of it. They struggled emotionally because of it. Now, Reagan loved his dad, even though his dad was putting their family through a a, a pretty difficult stretch. But he also spent plenty of his time as a young man trying to spare his father from embarrassing himself. So do you ever look at some people and you say, wow, how did you get so responsible? Why are you so responsible? Why are you always thinking about others? I think in in the context of of Reagan, a, a big part of it was he had to grow up very early. He had to think about things and he had to do things that typically when you're a child, you don't have to think about a whole lot. And one example from that documentary that really stood out to me in, a, in a, a powerful way was a story of when Reagan, just as really a boy, I mean, he was just a, a very young man at, at this point still, just a, still in school, uh, and he came home one day, and he happened to find his father drunk, passed out on their front porch. And he looked at this, and he sees his dad drunk, passed out on the front porch. He's starting to wonder, what am I supposed to do? People are going to see him like this. I don't want people to see him like this. So picture Reagan as a boy opening up the front door, and with all the strength that he had, he dragged his father into the house. He dragged his father off the porch and into the house, and then his father just stayed asleep on the floor for a few hours until he sobered up a little. And sadly, that's the most prominent thing that I could tell you about Reagan's dad. I don't know much else about him. And in fact, when I, whenever I watch historical documentaries and whenever I read books that include some of the background of what went into his life, that's basically the legacy that Reagan's dad left for most historians. It's really the only thing that they talk about, that sort of stuff in regard to his life. He was basically seen as a man who gave in to folly and he gave in to vice while grieving his family who still loved him deeply. 
And when I look at Proverbs chapter 26, I actually see a variety of things here that show us that the folly we embrace can actually become the legacy that we leave. And you have Solomon sharing these things with us in a way that he's trying to get our attention and saying, you have options. You can take your life in this foolish direction, but here's what the outcome will be. Or you can give your heart over to the Lord and watch what the Lord does as he lifts you up and teaches you more about his ways and you can walk in the Lord's ways. And so we're going to see that difference and what that difference looks like and some of the cautionary things that Solomon brings up in this portion of Scripture. And one of the things that he points out to us when you look at the early verses here, when you look at the first three verses in particular, is the fact that there are some people who just won't learn. So try not to be one of them. Right? Look at what he says in the opening verses. I'll read it again for us. He says, like snow in summer, and by the way, I'm very sorry for picking a scripture today that references snow. I know we all want it to melt. Okay? I know. I'm with you on that. But like snow in summer or rain in harvest, so honor is not fitting for a fool. Like a sparrow in its flitting, like a swallow in its flying, a curse that is causeless does not alight. And then notice this verse, verse 3. It says, a whip for the horse, a bridle for the donkey and a rod for the back of fools. Now, when it comes to obtaining wisdom, there are multiple ways that you can obtain it. There are several different ways that you could obtain wisdom. I think one of the most obvious ways for us as believers in the Lord is the fact that we can can read what the Lord has revealed in his word, we can believe what he says, and we can apply those truths to our lives. I think that's the best and most obvious ways for us as believers to obtain wisdom. We can read the Word of God, actually listen to what the Lord says, and apply those truths to our lives. So that's one way that you and I can obtain wisdom. Another very helpful way that you and I can obtain wisdom is by listening to the counsel of godly people. There are godly people that you know, there are godly people that I know, and when they speak, we have the opportunity to listen to their counsel. So if we take their counsel and if we listen to their counsel, that's another way that we can learn. We can even learn from their experiences in such a way that we don't have to repeat the mistakes that others have made. We can go about benefiting from the mistakes they made, not repeating them ourselves, and just listening to the advice that others give to us. So that's a second way. A third way that we can obtain wisdom is the hard way. We could ignore the Word of God, we could ignore the counsel of others, and then we can do things our own way, get smacked down, experience pain, embarrassment, and all the things that come with that, realize we made a bad choice, repent of it, and make a wiser choice next time with a few scars. But when I look over the course of my life, there are times that I've listened to the Word of God, and, uh, uh, and grew in wisdom that way. There are times that I've listened to the counsel of godly people, and I grew in wisdom that way. And there are other times when I got smacked down because I ignored those first two and had to learn wisdom the hard way. And you could probably think about the course of your life and realize that your wisdom-gaining experiences have probably fallen into those three categories as well. Um, but when you look at this portion of Scripture here, these opening verses of Proverbs chapter 26... Solomon also shows us that there are actually people who who willfully reject every opportunity to obtain wisdom that's offered that's offered to them. And Solomon here tells us that wisdom or that honor is not fitting for them. As they reject the wisdom that's offered to them, they that honor is not fitting for them. And he also tells us that painful consequences are the guaranteed result of rejecting the wisdom of God. 
So a godless man who embraces the foolish thinking of this world is going to end up being treated in some respects like an animal that can't be reasoned with. When you look at verse 3, Solomon says, a whip for the horse, a bridle for the donkey, and a rod for the back of fools. So horses, you don't typically reason with a horse to teach a horse to do something that it needs to do. Typically, horses understand reward and punishment. And so Solomon here is saying, a person who lacks wisdom, typically, the only way that they're going to learn is by experiencing some level of pain because they can't be reasoned with. Foolish people are very similar to the ways in which a horse ends up being corrected. So this past week, I heard something very interesting that I thought was instructive, and I thought, you know what, I want to share that with our church family on Sunday morning. But I heard of a man who became a a great success later in his life, but during the early years of his adulthood, his mother actually tried to persuade his fiancée not to marry him. So when he was 26 years old, he got engaged, and his mother pulled his fiance aside and said, I just want to be honest with you. I love my son, and I love you, but I'm just telling you now, you don't want to marry that boy. You're not going to want to marry him. And, and, and his fiance was confused and thinking, this is your son. Why are you telling me this? And she said, I'm just going to be honest with you. He won't stick with anything. He's 26. He won't stick with anything won't stick with anything. And she said, I'm guaranteeing you now, if you marry him, you're going to be poor the rest of your life. That was her counsel. It's like, thanks, mom, right? I don't know if the man heard his mother say that directly or if it was told to him after she said it, but he took what his mother said to heart because obviously it was very hurtful. And so at his own expense at age 26, there was someone locally who did, like a specialist that did certain personality tests and other things, of a psychological nature, and he thought, let me just pay to, to be analyzed that way and see if I could get some good counsel that way. And so he went and went through these tests, and, and the specialist basically said to him, all right, after spending about eight hours working with him, he, he said, all right, here's my determination after getting to know you and taking you through every test that I could think to bring you through. My assessment of you is this. You have the worst people skills of anyone I've ever met. And my counsel for you, because it was also like career counseling, my counsel for you is to find a job where you never, ever have to interact with people. That was his advice. Now, this happened about 100 years ago. I noticed that people are a little bit more cautious with the advice that they give in our generation. But 100 years ago, people spoke pretty bluntly and pretty frankly. And he said, you have the worst personality I've ever seen. You have the worst people skills I've ever seen. Find a job where you don't have to interact with people. So what what would you do if you were presented that kind of information? Well, the man acknowledged that it was true, but he also decided, I don't want to stay in this spot. I actually want to do something about it. And so he went from that to actually buying books on what does it look like to just be a kind person? What does it look like to interact with people in a way that doesn't make them feel devalued? And so he started reading books on this and realized, okay, this is getting me so far. But then he thought, all right, well, maybe you know, maybe I should take a course. And so he actually started taking some courses, primarily in business schools, of how to actually interact with people and how to display good customer service and all sorts of things like that. And as he started learning, he started growing, he started applying these things, and he decided, I'm going to make a lifelong practice of this, which he did. And ironically, I don't know the man's name, but I do know what he did. He became the co-founder of the Sheraton Hotel chain. So it kind of worked out for him, right? 
But he went through a bumpy path to get there of not listening and then coming to a crisis point where it was like all he was doing was listening. And because he decided to eventually listen to the counsel that he was being given through things that he was reading and training he was receiving, he actually did something very helpful and very positive and lived a very good life as a result. There are some people in this world who will receive feedback. But there are others in this world who just won't learn. Try not to be one of the latter. Try to be a teachable person. I believe that the Lord wants us to have soft, teachable hearts that listen to His voice and listen to the counsel of those around us because there's an issue that will happen if we harden our hearts to good counsel. And Solomon illustrates it for us in verses 4 and 5 of Proverbs 26. And here he says something that when we first read it, I almost wonder if some of us were, were like, wait a second, is Solomon telling us two different things back to back? Why is he saying it this way? But I, I'll, I'll summarize what I think he's saying by saying this. I think he's telling us, be careful not to waste all your words, but be willing to waste at least a few. Now, why am I saying that? Well, look at what he says here in verses 4 and 5, because they seem to be two different things, but I'll show you how I think they work together. He says in verse 4, answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. So our counsel for that, all right, answer not a fool according to his folly. Got it. But then he says, answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. And you read those verses back to back and you think, wait a second, what is, what is he getting at? He's telling me, answer not a fool, and then he's telling me to answer a fool in the next verse. Which one is it, Solomon, right? I thought you were supposed to be so wise. Which one is it? Well, have you ever tried to teach something to somebody else? Have you ever done that? I mean, anyone, even if you have younger siblings or a friend, you know, I'm looking around the room. Some of the young people in the room are, are saying, yeah, like, yeah, I've tried to teach something to somebody else. What's it like? You know, there's certain things that make it easy to teach somebody, right, if they're receptive and willing and cooperative. And then there are other things that make it absolutely miserable to try and teach somebody something because they're not very receptive to it. And in these verses, you have Solomon painting a picture for us of a wise person who's attempting to share wisdom with somebody that's steeped in foolishness. And unfortunately, there are many times when that activity actually feels fruitless, Right? When you're trying to share something of value and it's just not received. And it's especially fruitless when you try and debate things on terms that get set by those who are embracing folly. If we accept those terms and if we try to answer such a person in a way that's consistent with his folly, we'll end up sounding just like him. It's like trying to argue with a baby on the baby's terms. You both end up sounding like a baby right? And so Solomon is basically encouraging us, you don't argue with a fool according to his folly. You don't, you don't stoop to doing that very thing. It doesn't, it doesn't really work out very well. Uh, but have you ever attempted to share something, maybe a word of wisdom or a word of encouragement or some counsel with someone, and then later regretted it because you realized they had no intention to even receive the counsel that you were offering? Have you ever had an experience like that? Several years ago, someone asked me to speak with a mutual friend and, uh, and said, would, would you speak to this person? Would you speak to him about this particular subject? Because what's, end, what's happening right now is uh, this decision that he's making is damaging himself, it's damaging his family, and it's basically damaging all the relationships that surround that ecosystem of his family. And I don't know if he'll listen to anyone. Will you try to talk to him? So I said, yeah, sure. And I tried to talk to him. And he didn't receive my counsel. And so others tried to talk to him, 
and he didn't receive their counsel. And I tried again, and I tried again, and I tried again. And I remember after a while realizing, this is fruitless. He's not going to receive my counsel, and he's not receiving the counsel of other people that love him. The only thing I think I can do for him at this point now is be available for him and pray for him. But unfortunately, in his context, he chose to kind of follow through on the decisions that he was making, and it damaged his own life, it damaged the life of his family members, and it damaged basically uh, anyone that attempted to have a relationship with this man. It damaged it because he wouldn't listen to anybody's counsel, even people who he knew genuinely loved him. And there was nothing we could do to stop him from making the decisions that he was making. But I wouldn't have felt all that good if I didn't at least try. And I know that the others that love him wouldn't have felt very good if they didn't at least try. And I think that that's the second part of what Solomon's getting at here. Because the first part, he's saying, all right, you know, you don't have to answer a fool according to his folly, right? Lest you, lest you be like him yourself. But he's also saying, answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. And I think what Solomon is saying there is, even though our words of counsel may be falling at times on ears that are unwilling to hear, it's still worth the risk to waste a few. Because there's a slight chance that maybe they'll hear it, or maybe they'll think about it, and maybe they'll come back to it later. So you don't have to go on forever. You don't have to go on and on and on and on if they're not receiving it. But if you have something of value and it comes from a spirit of love and you're trying to offer that to somebody else, I think it's worth taking the risk to maybe waste a few words and maybe test the water and see if you could help someone that you care about. And maybe they'll receive it later. Maybe they'll receive it after they have some time to think about it. You don't have to go on and on forever, but I think it's worth taking a little bit of a risk. And here you have Solomon encouraging us, I think, in the way he's saying this, to do both. You don't go on forever with it, but you do offer it. Something else that he, and I think it's interesting to watch this pattern here. I'm going to skip ahead a few verses and jump us up to verse 11 of Proverbs 26. Because one of the things that he gives us here is a picture that's cautionary. And I hope we'll take this to heart in our own life. Because as we're talking about wisdom and sharing wisdom, we're not just talking about other people. We're not just talking about offering the wisdom we have to other people. We're also talking about the fact that sometimes we personally struggle to receive wisdom. And sometimes we personally struggle to walk in wisdom. And one of the things that that Solomon makes very clear here is the fact that the destructive patterns of folly can actually be rather hard to escape from time to time. Look at the way he phrases it here. It's not a very pleasant thought to think about, but I'll read it like he says it. In verse 11, he says, Like a dog that returns to his vomit is a fool who repeats his folly. Now think about that statement for just a second, even though it's not pleasant. Let me also say this. Biblically speaking, when we come to faith in Christ, we're no longer fools. Biblically speaking, when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, you're no longer fools, because true foolishness is godlessness. When you look at what the Bible is teaching us, it's teaching us that the essence of foolishness is to live your life as if God doesn't exist. That's true foolishness. So if we've come to faith in Jesus Christ, we're not fools in the biblical sense. Ultimate foolishness is to reject the gift of salvation that's offered to us through Jesus Christ. And it's foolish for us, likewise, with that in mind, with the work of Christ in mind, it's foolish for us to try to do for ourselves what's already been done for us by Christ. We couldn't save ourselves. 
There are people who try to save themselves. You can't save yourself, and I can't save myself. So Christ accomplished all that was needed for us to experience new life. He accomplished all that was needed for us to experience true spiritual freedom in him. These are things Jesus has done for us. And being that he paid such a steep price for our freedom, Scripture encourages us not to return to the life that we once embraced. Too great a cost has been paid for your spiritual freedom, for you or for me, to go back to the life that we once embraced. But let's be honest. The destructive patterns of of folly, of foolishness, of worldliness, those things can be hard to escape, especially if we've we've, uh, developed an unhealthy dependence on the foolish things of this world to soothe our emotional pain. If you and I are depending on the foolish things of this world to soothe some level of emotional pain, it can be very difficult for us to break away from our dependence on those foolish things. It can be very easy for us to start running right back to our old ways because maybe we're convinced that those things will bring us peace. Maybe we're convinced that those things will bring us healing. And whatever you think will bring you emotional healing, that's going to be your go-to. And it can be very easy for us as people who struggle with sin to go to very unhealthy things that we've become convinced will soothe our emotional pain. And so Solomon describes this pattern in, in very vivid language to try to drive his point home. And I want us to think about this as believers in Jesus Christ, because when we return to the folly that Christ has already freed us from, what we're acting like is like a dog who goes back to lick up its own vomit. And if that mental picture is disgusting in your thinking, I think that that's on purpose. I think that that's why that kind of image is given to us in this portion of Scripture, because so often we look at sinful things in this world and we paint them in such a rosy light, and we think that they're so beautiful, and we think that they're so wonderful, and we forget just how repugnant they can be. And so Solomon describes the the idea of going back to folly as like a dog returning to its own sickness. And for those of us who have been experiencing the spiritual freedom that Christ paid for on our behalf to go back to what he already freed us from is no different than a dog going back to its own vomit. The destructive patterns of folly may feel hard to escape, but Christ has made the way possible for us. You and I have the ability to escape those things. We don't have to go back to those things any longer. And so scripture gives us a picture of what we're really going back to if we reject the freedom we have in Christ and try and go back to the old thing that he's already freed us from. I love what scripture shows us, by the way, in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. It's a familiar portion of scripture probably to many of us, but I want to point it out to us because it's extremely helpful when we're talking about this idea. And there it says this, it says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. So think about that in regard to our own personal lives. The areas that we're tempted to go back to our old life. Sometimes we think we're the only ones struggling in this area or that area. And what scripture tells us in 1 Corinthians 10 is the apostle Paul was writing these things down. He says, listen, no temptation has overtaken you that's not common to man. It's common. The things you struggle with, other people struggle with as well. It's not unique to you, even if it feels like it's unique to you. But we're also told that God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape, that you may be able to endure it. 
So the Lord isn't looking at you and looking at me and saying, hey, get this figured out on your own. What he's saying is he's provided the remedy. He's provided the escape. The escape is ultimately, is ultimately Jesus Christ, whom we've learned to trust. Instead of going back to the things that we used to use to soothe our emotional pains, we can go to Christ and recognize that he is ultimately the solution. You have Paul emphasizing that. I believe that Solomon is pointing our hearts in that direction as well with what he shares in verse 11 of Proverbs 26. But I want to finish today by showing you one other thing that Solomon brings up in this portion of Scripture. And when you look at verse 12 of Proverbs 26, he encourages us here to be the kind of people who acknowledge the source of true wisdom by realizing that we are not that source. Look at how he says it in verse 12. He says, Do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Think about that statement. I'll read it again. He says, Do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There's more hope for a fool than for him. Wisdom is something worth praying for. Whether you're in the Old Testament reading or whether you're reading in the New Testament, you can see examples of where the Lord rejoices over people praying for wisdom. So of the things you have on your personal prayer list, of the things that you come before the throne of God asking for his help and asking for his intervention, I would encourage you to also add wisdom to your prayer list. Ask the Lord to give you wisdom. It seems to be, as we read Scripture, one of the things that he delights to say yes to. So wisdom is worth praying for. Wisdom is worth seeking. Wisdom is worth obtaining. But one of the major roadblocks that gets in the way of us obtaining wisdom is ourselves. We are our own roadblock, particularly if we are wise in our own eyes. You consider yourself wise in your own eyes, you very well may be a roadblock to obtaining the wisdom that the Lord wants you to obtain. Because that mindset, the mindset of being wise in our own eyes, it actually results in us thinking that we don't need outside counsel. We don't need counsel from God. We don't need counsel from others. If that's actually our mindset, you can see very easily how that, that mindset would hinder growth. We want to grow in our walk with the Lord. If we want to grow as individuals, we want to grow as a group, we need to submit ourselves to the wisdom of God. But if we reject that wisdom, it's going to hinder our growth. And if we're honest, we have to admit that over the course of our lives, there are many times and many different examples where we have attempted to do more talking than we've done listening. And as a result, we have rejected wisdom when it's been offered to us. And I'll give you a good example that maybe you can identify with, because I can certainly identify with this. How many conversations have you been part of during the course of your life where you paused to listen to someone talk, but you were really just pausing long enough to wait to get to the point where you got to share the thing that you wanted to share? So have you ever done that where it's like, yeah, I'm, look like you're listening, look like you're listening, look like you're listening, and now they took a breath, and now I share my thing, right? We've all done that. I have noticed that pattern in my life many different times, and it's something that as the Lord brings it to my attention, I, I think, okay, you could either keep going that direction and have no friends, John, or you can learn to listen when people speak, and maybe you'll learn something new. And one of, the thing, one of the reasons I bring that up, because first of all, I think it's very common. I think that all people do that. I do that at times, and you do that at times. It's not unique to any one of us. But in a very real way, let's take the shine off that practice by admitting that it's actually a form of self-idolatry. It really is. 
And I think Solomon's cautioning us against it because it's very perilous. He tells us that there's more hope for a fool than there is for a man who idolizes his own wisdom or becomes wise in his own eyes. So if you or I become wise in our own eyes, if we idolize our own wisdom, it's a form of self-idolatry. And he says there's more hope for a fool than for someone who becomes wise in his own eyes. So for us to obtain the wisdom that we need, first of all, we have to admit that there is wisdom that doesn't find its source with us. We have to acknowledge that Jesus is the source of true wisdom. He's the solution. Jesus is the source. And that's not just my opinion. I'm going to show you what Scripture says specifically about that very thing. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, let me read it for us. 1 Corinthians 1, verses 24 and 25 say it this way. But to those called by God to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. That's what Scripture directly tells us, that Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. And then Paul uses some hyperbole here in in the way he says this. But he says, this foolish plan of God is wiser than the wisest of human plans. And God's weakness is stronger than the greatest of human strength. And what he's saying here is that the things that sometimes we look at what God's doing, we're saying, that doesn't make any sense to me. That seems foolish. Why would God do this? As if we have more wisdom than God. And so Paul is saying, yeah, the things that sometimes we as people would look at, at what God's doing and say, I don't know, that doesn't make sense to me. It's like, all right, well, great. It doesn't make sense to you. Who's right, you or God? Well, most people on this earth, they, they live how? As if they are right. As if we can look at what God's doing and make an assessment and be like, I don't know, God. No, I don't think I'd do that. No, I'll wait till you make a better decision. It's like, oh, I didn't know you were omniscient too. That's fascinating, right? That our all-knowing God somehow would make some sort of mistake. And so you have the Apostle Paul saying, listen, the foolish plan of God is wiser than the wisest of human plans. He's saying, listen, God's thinking is far above our own. And he says, and God's weakness is stronger than the greatest of human strength. What he's saying is, subjugate yourself to the wisdom of God. Submit yourself to the wisdom of God. Elevate what he's doing and what he knows above what you know. Because if you're wise in your own eyes, you'll idolize yourself and you'll ignore him. And that comes at too great a cost. But to those called by God to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Christ is the solution for the wisdom that we seek and the wisdom that we need. So let me say this as we finish up this morning. And I want to tie this all back to this idea of legacy that we talked about at the start. Do you give much thought to the legacy that you'll be leaving for those who come after you? Is that something you think about? I don't know that I thought about that a whole ton at earlier seasons of life, but I have to admit that the older I get, the more this thought occupies my mind. I think about this more and more and more. Influence, legacy, those that are watching, those that are copying your children, future grandchildren, people that that may hear about you long after you're gone. Do you ever think about the legacy that you're leaving to others? I have to tell you, I don't want to leave a legacy of foolishness, and I would suspect that none of us in this room want to leave a legacy of foolishness. But Solomon outlines for us what it looks like when that's the kind of legacy we choose to leave. What we want to do as followers of Jesus Christ is we want to leave a legacy of of faith, a legacy that glorifies Christ, and that legacy is going to be determined by whatever you and I choose to embrace today. 
So if I keep embracing foolishness, I'm going to leave a legacy of foolishness. But if I embrace Christ, if I embrace faith in Christ, if I hold on to him as my anchor in every moment, what's going to end up happening is that that's going to become the pattern of my life, and I'm going to leave a legacy of faith. And that's what I want to leave. And I think that that's what you want to leave as well. So let's just think about a few things as we finish up. What are we holding on to right now? What are you holding on to? What am I holding on to? What are we holding on to? What have we chosen to embrace? Are our arms wrapped around the follies of this world? Or will we embrace Jesus Christ, who is the power and the wisdom of God personified? Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for giving us the opportunity to be able to look at your word together this morning. Lord, we're so thankful for the fact that you show us things that are above our own natural understanding. You show us things and display things for us that are far beyond what we would just naturally be able to perceive. Father, in your omniscience, you know all things. And you have told us that that in your Son, we see your wisdom personified. That your Son, Jesus Christ, is the wisdom of God and the power of God. And so, Father, we pray that our trust in your Son would be deep. We pray that we would not rely on the things of this world to be some sort of an unhealthy emotional crutch. But we pray that our hearts would be fully aligned with your Son, Jesus Christ, that we would trust Him completely, that we would follow Him sincerely, and that we would listen to the counsel that you've given to us through your Son. Lord, you, you show us even in, uh, in Matthew 28, the great commission that your Son gave, that as followers of your Son, Jesus Christ, were to obey His teaching. And so we pray that you would fill us with hearts of faith that express that faith in genuine obedience and that we wouldn't go back to the things of this world that are unhealthy forms of sickness that you set us free from through your son, Jesus Christ, to accomplish the work that he accomplished for us on the cross. We pray that we would remember the great price that was paid for our freedom and that that would influence us not to go back to the things that really just enslaved us before. Thank you, Lord, for these admonitions from your word. Thank you for your presence with us right now. And thank you for the privilege that it is to walk with you in all contexts of life. We pray that we would honor your name and that we would learn to glorify you and that the legacy that we leave would be a legacy of faith in your son, Jesus Christ. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever felt conflict between your faith and feelings? If so, you're not alone. My name's Carly Mercouillier. I'm a licensed therapist and the host of the Therapy and Theology podcast, where we explore popular topics and questions related to faith, feelings, and spiritual formation. I want to invite you to join me every Thursday as we fearlessly name the complexities of our reality, grow in the awareness of who we are, and rediscover the power and purpose of our unique stories through the lens of the gospel. Subscribe today at lifeaudio.com.